Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 20th episode of Something in the Crown. I am Insung Kim, and I'm Kim Wen. And uh, I think I always say, like, we're so excited, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's real. We are so excited. We are. We get like, you know, I just, well, this is something that we really like. And we're just glad that there are some of you that also like whatever this is. <laughs> we still don't know, but we really appreciate your dedication to it. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much. Um, we want to actually begin by addressing um, or by giving you a trigger warning that the episode will contain discussions of infanticide, domestic violence, and abuse, um, particularly uh, familial domestic or familial violence. Um, so please take care. And if that's something that's difficult for you, just know that this is what this drama is about. And then we will also talk about it. So just letting you know. And also, um, we put this in the show notes for the previous episode, for episode 19, the one we did with Soleil, but uh, we feel like it's important to say that we are not mental health healthcare professionals or analysts. Um, all of the reading that I do on <laughs> psychoanalysis is not very, um, it's not very scholarly. Like I just kind of casually read things on the internet and then I like, ask people vague questions and sometimes they answer and then I listen to podcasts. So I am no expert. Um, so if you really do have mental health concerns, please do not take what we're saying about the various issues um, as authoritative. I also would not watch the show if you were seeking like, <laughs> uh, authentic representations of mental health, uh, the mental health profession, um, based upon the limited knowledge that you and I have. I'm not sure that we would make that recommendation right. either. <laughs> I mean, I think that it, we felt like I mean, it's a little bit silly that we have to say this, but like also so much of the show is a very intricate critique of mental health. It seems like almost like insider critique of mental health. Um, that if you were actually wanting mental health, this is maybe, 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 whatever. Like, hopefully you understand what we're saying. Trigger warning and we're not, we're not, um, we're not here to give you actual advice. That's what we're trying to say. I hope you never take any of our advice in any of these podcast episodes. In conclusion, in conclusion, <laughs> please don't take anyone's advice in general. Please really think about your desires and motivations and make your decisions accordingly because no one else really knows what you're going through and thinking about. So, oh, but um, I hope it's clear that this is a second part to It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Um, our follow-up, yes. and a lot happens. But before we begin, we wanted to update that um, <laughs> even though the show has been over for, like, weeks, which is like yes. a million years in K-drama time. 
It's true. We've actually consumed several dramas in between. I know. Watching the show and the conclusion of it. Um, and last time we checked in, uh, we had only watched, I think, just over half, I think, of the series. Exactly. So, so much has happened since then, including some important news from the Korea Communications Standards Commission. <laughs> Which, literally, I think it happened within the last, like, week or two. Um, which seems important to say, but Kim, do you want to describe some of it and I can follow up? <laughs> well, it appears as though that men's rights activism strikes in Korea. It is alive and well. Don't worry, in case you were wondering, does it happen everywhere? Sure does. <laughs> um, it apparently is, we, uh, I believe that this was forwarded to you from Joe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Joe shared this with us. Um, it was an article that basically had um, cited a number of infractions that this show had made, um, including issues with gender equality, um, explicit scenes of sexual harassment, male genitalization, and verbal abuse. Um, and that it had been like flagged as an inappropriate um, television drama for these reasons. And when we read this initially, we were just like, "How do you like? What are you talking about? Like, like nowhere do you actually talk about? I don't know about how like her father tried to kill her. Like, isn't that kind of graphic? Like, yeah, like that's pretty fucked up. But so there's like a dude who at one point is running around in a trench coat and he's naked but he covers up his genitalia with a drawing i think like some sort of paper and i think that this this article said that he was exposed but then in the same sentence said he was covered up and i'm like which one is it <laughs> like, well apparently, is he covered up or is he exposed like i don't know what's happening i mean the the charge is article 27 which is titled yes. Duties of Integrity and Article 30, <laughs> Gender Equality. And it's like, based on this standard, I feel like there's a bunch of shows and films that you need to flag immediately. Like, gender equality? What? Um, but yeah. the, the main impetus is, like, the representation of men, which is what, yes. Yes. There was a particular scene that they took great issue with that we had actually forgotten because it was so tame and because well they kept talking about like sex scenes and we're like when when did that happen we watched 16 eps and all we got was an allusion to a sex scene so like you tell me where it was i want to look for it i know and it turns out it was actually early on there was a moment where she's kind of admiring our emotionally repressed alien's body and i think like lifts up his shirt and touches his abs and that was that was a sex scene <laughs> it was not a sex scene kim it was sexual harassment and an <laughs> issue of gender equality okay like not the very i'm like how are you how does this how do we even talk about this when there are so many rape scenes and so many actually like Kim Gidok has made an entire career just making films about women being raped. I'm sorry. Did the Communication Standards Commission 
a site, Article they having, 30. They were off. They were off that, you know, for the last 20 years. Or and I was like, I don't even know. I'm like, okay, I don't want to speak for our repressed alien who knows what he's thinking. He's fine. <laughs> I know. What, did he really think that that was sexual harassment? Like, she touched his abs. Like, we're not really sure. I mean, we know exactly what's going on. This is some incel bullshit, okay? Like, yeah. this is some men's rights activism. Like, really <laughs> what it comes down to is that um, the aggressor, whatever that means, um, in this show are not men. They are, I mean, it's her, right? Like, she seems more interested in sex than he is. Um, well, she should be punished for her. Ugh. Like, that's what it is. Right. Um, Because it's inappropriate. She should be chased, and it's inappropriate that she is communicating her interest in this man. And he doesn't... That's harassment. (laughs) And, like, and then they do... I mean, like, when we read this, we were like, okay, we live in a world full (laughs) of fake news. Life is depressing every day. There's a... Fascism, fascism is actually legitimately like the takeover it has been happening um we thought that k-drama was not perfect full of problems but we didn't know that men's rights activism is also in charge of its domain so like the article then goes goes on to point out how there will be a hearing where they will have to answer for Article 27 and Article 30, which we hope is televised because it, the whole thing seems like a parody. Like, we're like, what are you talking about? Like, gender equality, verbal abuse? Like, are you, let's really hope that it's at least talking about the way that the main female character was spoken to repeatedly by various people, but pretty sure that's not it. They never, they never mention her except in framing her as an aggressor in that situation. And then everyone else that they are concerned about is basically like objectification of men. Ugh. Like that is what the problem is. Yeah. It's like, I can't believe that this character ran around naked, but also covered up. <laughs> and I, I wondered actually if that was about like how then the men seem a little bit out of control and were depicted as embarrassing versus like she mm. oftentimes is actually in control and she is like articulate right like in a way that like the men in her that she interacts with are not i did think that there was something about that like like maybe that's the infraction of integrity that like the male characters have quote unquote no integrity but it's like is this a show about mental health supposedly or like a mental health hospital like i'm sorry what did you want to happen like you want like normative heteronormativity to be like depicted for 16 episodes well there's a lot of shows that don't do this um and i've never really seen you know this kind of the communication standards infraction for those and then like we should also point out that there will be a hearing which we will update you if joe updates us on this <laughs> Joe's our main source. Main source. Thanks, Joe. Um, It could be that nothing happens at the hearing or they could lose the entire broadcast network, could lose their licensing permission. Because men have no integrity. Yeah. 
I know. We know. Like, <laughs> you, you don't have to tell us. Yes. If you were actually upholding men to standards of integrity, great. But you're not. So... <laughs> Oh my god. If you could see like how far our eyes are rolling and were <laughs> rolling when because at first we were like, is this fake news? Did someone make this up? Like Article 27, Article 30, and we were like, who was sexually harassed? Who where who had sex? Where are the sexy? <laughs> could not we're like, I don't even know what you're like what graphic anything are you talking about other than yes, there's some serious abuse that happens and then they mention nothing. No, no acknowledgement of that. And to be quite frank, like verbal abuse, our main girl in something in the rain was verbally abused by her mother and oh her my God. coworkers. The like the, every single episode. Every single season, it was like her mother and then every man she worked with. She was constantly sexually harassed. I, I am going to, after we finish recording this, I'm going to look up whether Article 30 was cited in defense of her <laughs> honor. Also, this is fucking fiction. What are you talking about? Like, what does this mean? <laughs> How could you have fiction and uphold, like, duties of integrity and gender equality? The society is not equal. The society is without integrity. So sorry. Like, and also, this is fiction. Just, like, putting it out there. Kind of seems important. Um, I just looked up. Mm -hmm. The Korea Communication Standards Commission, uh -huh. Wikipedia. It was formed in 2008, which seems kind of new for being approved. <laughs> like, let's just, <laughs> I guess, I guess, like, early for being an intel. I don't know. <laughs> it's like post post prude, pre intel. Oh my god. Founding men's rights activism, basically. Turns out is here yeah um the south korean television rating system has been in force since 2000 and i guess all programs since 2001 have been required to use this rating system they have that explains um, a lot actually that explains a total fuck ton wow okay yes yes so I don't know. I think, and it also says for further reading, reading, see censorship in South Korea. So, I feel like you get the gist of where this is going. Oh my gosh. I'm like, it makes me livid to think about how the entire thing of something in the rain was about sexual harassment and verbal yeah, abuse and gender equality. The whole show was about gender equality. This is probably a separate paper that you and I will just have to write at some point because we the wish... The list is growing. <laughs> Dear listener, Kim and I have a list of things that we're like, we hope that someone figures out or plagiarizes our ideas to, to work on this essay that we think needs to exist in the world because we're tired. <laughs> We have so many things to write. We're working on so many things. So, you know, but it doesn't happen. And if we, this exists, if you know this exists, please send it to us. us. But um, but then it doesn't happen. And then we end up having to write it. And we're just like, okay. Correct. We'll just and then it. we end up doing a lot of weird reading about <laughs> men's rights activism in South Korea. But, um, but 
at some point, I think it, there needs to be a kind of like a very thorough maybe article, not about South Korea, or it could be using this as like an, an example that isn't it strange that the very standards for fiction and K-drama are not the same standards for society? Like what would happen, um, you know, what happens, not that like we are interested in like law enforcement, right? But like, you know, given all of this sort of gender um, pay inequality, I think like the last time Joe sent me the stats, it's like something like 38%. That's the difference. Um, It's remained that way for a while. And given how like sexual harassment, like maybe there are laws, but like, does it actually fit the standard? Um, So like in real life, this shit is not actually enforced. But in fiction, someone is like mortified, the chairman, chairman, that's his name. Okay, like, like, spread it, (laughs) spread it, everyone. He's mortified. that it's not upheld in fiction it's like do you uphold it in your own life like when you wake up do you think about um the duties of integrity and gender equality i mean if you fucking do like i will i i want i want some proof because you see yeah you only fixate on the things that you think were unfair that happened to men in a fictional drama like i don't know what to say that's wild I mean, I'm sure that the chairman is pretty concerned about how men are treated in real life, too. You know? <laughs> gender equality. Let's be honest. Gender equality is about men's rights, apparently. <laughs> yeah. That's what we've learned. That's what we've learned this week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but um, to talk about updates on the drama since our episode with Soleil. Um, oh, yeah. Not much has changed. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, I think we recorded it after having watched like halfway through. Um, and not much really changes. Like no one is magically, you know, different. Like the father is still terrible. Everyone's still terrible, really. Except for her. Everyone's still damaged. You yeah. Know. She's great. Like our, you know, our main character, Kumuyong, is still, you know, she's, she's great. The alien is... maybe a little bit less repressed but it's unclear i don't know he's working on it sort of i don't know he's not moving quickly you could say (laughs) but um he does get slightly less repressed as it goes on yeah um i think they become somewhat more um They become more of a family right. in a way. And I think that they also, in their each of their own individual ways, are trying to um, be a bit more independent in certain things. Mm-hmm. And that can mean a variety of things. Like for our lead female character, that was sort of trying to extract herself from her mother and the control of her mother a bit more. Um, And for the two brothers, I think it's kind of about like living more independent lives from each other and allowing each other to kind of be adults, you know? So there's more of that that happens as the series goes on. There is a big twist. Yes. Um, 
predicted it. I was like, um, this is, this bitch is so fucking weird. Like, okay, so the hospital stays <laughs> equally dysfunctional. No one is right. But the twist that, like, the one plot twist that does matter, do you want to tell everyone, Kim? Well, the nurse, the nurse, it's always the nurse, <laughs> that was up in everyone's business all the time. Every time something happened at the hospital, you would turn around and then she'd be, like, popping out from a closet, like, mm, hello, I've got a, I've got a hot take on whatever just happened here. Like, mm. and turns out... She's evil, no surprise, and she's super evil because she is our lead female character's mother, as she thought, had died dun, dun, or was dun. murdered by her father, who yeah. wasn't actually murdered, just attempted, but somehow survived, and then got a bunch of plastic surgery, oh, and then pretended to be a nurse in this, this mental health facility, she- and... To torment everybody, I guess. I don't know how she predicted that her daughter would end up back there. Well, that's why she kept pushing for her daughter Mm. to, like, and this is something that she admits that, like, in the very first episode when um, Moon Young, like, has that interaction with the father who's trying to kill his daughter, um, the nurse says that like I facilitated his release so that that would happen um Mm. and then like I think that's part of why like as the father was dying she kept pushing the doctor to be like the daughter needs to be here so I think like that was part of her kind of master planning or whatever um Mm -hmm. but I was like at the minute it happened I texted Kim and I was like I knew it there was something so weird about this character. Like they're all unprofessional. <laughs> she's so like, she's she's around she's like too fucking nosy. Yeah, like, she's around way too much. And I'm like, you're just a nurse at this hospital. Like, why do we have to have seen so many scenes with you? Like, it's weird. Yeah, it's it's strange. And she definitely like <laughs> when it's revealed that she's evil, like, the real evil mastermind behind all these, like, freaky things that have been happening at the hospital, she really turns it up. Like, it's, <laughs> like, it's, like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're full-on bananas. Like, like, okay, like, I guess so. Here's, here's a long game for you. Like, you know, like, how much, like, how old are you? Like, what is going on also? Plastic surgery in Korea, superior. Like, this is what we're learning. Because <laughs> you look great. <laughs> you look 31, maybe. Totally like... realistic. Totally realistic. But she, so like, the, basically like, her husband tried to kill her, or like shoved her off of the balcony of their house. She fell on some steps. It seemed that she had died. And then... He hid her body downstairs, which is what you do when you have a freaky house, I guess. I mean, you just got all these basements, so it's like, whatever. So they hide, they lock her up in there, hide hide the body. And then I think at some point, you know, his daughter goes to, like, find or, like, take a look. I don't know what she's doing. She's like, she doesn't understand what's happening. But the body is gone. She's gone missing. And so I guess she lived somehow and somehow. Evil always lives, basically. 
please, yeah. please know that um, if you're going to kill evil, you have to be really certain. You can't just, like, do a half-assed job and then, you know, yeah. And then just try to hide it in your basement <laughs> like it's an old, like, telescope or whatever that you don't use anymore. <laughs> I used to care about the stars. <laughs> Anyhow. So she's alive, she goes away, she starts crafting some really insane, elaborate plan, does all this plastic surgery, torments torments her daughter. Um, I don't really know. I like they haven't they were not in correspondence like at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like and then somehow she orchestrates this thing to get her back to the hospital or a connection to this like hometown and this hospital again and I think her objective is so that she her daughter will just be strong and alone (laughs) yeah like her like her like her yeah yeah and strong for her like as an interpretation um this kind of murderous I think (laughs) that's an accurate interpretation Mm mm-hmm you know, independent with their murder. <laughs> <laughs> willing to murder and willing to hurt people is her understanding of strong. Yes, yes, yeah. for her own personal well, gain. Yes. And that it's for her the best that she, uh, yeah. And so she kind of tries to systematically, like, destroy all of her daughter's relationships. Yes. To ensure that this happens. Um, so it should be important to remind that uh, though it was not cited by the co- commission, um, her father tried to kill her when she was a child after he he thought he killed her mother because he also believed that this daughter would grow up to be like the mother. So she's yes. sort of, that's part of the, so please do not sympathize with him because I think that... Um, this whole, like, he's an old man who doesn't remember oh, anything. Yeah. Because he, he kills her because he finds out that she killed the alien's mom. Yes. So that's the other plot twist. Is that Twist. Like, you're like, it's a twist on top of a twist. So as Kim said, they just really turn it up. Like, all of a sudden, there's, like, multiple murders. And you're like, what? Three eps left. And really just turn it up. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like... Part of why our lead fi- uh, female character, Lunyong, is has also been alone is because she did live with the sort of legacy of both of her parents wanting her to be like the mother. So like the mother, we see like flashback scenes of the mother just kind of being like, essentially, you are different, but also there's something wrong with you. And so you can't really be with other people and you're just like me. Um, while brushing her hair in the creepiest way ever. And then we also see the father. <laughs> we also It's s- true. There's a lot of scenes of, like, that hair brushing, and it's, it's real creepy. I know. I'm like, what is the metaphor of the hair brushing? I'm like, what is it? Um, but then we also see, like, the father insisting, you know, well, like, as he's trying to kill her, the child version of her, he insists that like she's just like the mother, um, which is to- we're we are going to talk about this incredibly, incredibly violent logic, um, and how so much of this show is about kind of 
our lead female character um, rupturing this logic of like the child is just an extension of the parent. It's an inevitable kind of conclusion, right? Because it's haunting her too. Um, as much as she like has not lived near them, like she does live with this sort of inheritance that, yeah, like maybe she's just like her mom. Maybe she'll just hurt everyone near her, like murder them on accident or on purpose and then be excited about it. And then um, when the father meets her when she's older, he also tries to kill her again, being like, you're a monster. Like monsters have to be killed. Right. Like for him, it's, I think, both the justification of what he did to his wife, but also like he genuinely has accepted that the offspring is nothing but the mother. I mean, she's basically a miracle baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, it's like your mom's a murderer, your dad's a murderer. It's like, it doesn't matter who you take after. It's like trash either way, right? Like, it's it's not good. And it's kind of like, and so it's sort of this kind of sadness, you know, where there was really no option for her either. It was like, I think that they both, both of the parents did this to her, where I think the mother was like, you can't be weak like your father. Mm. You have to be strong like me. And then the father is like, you are too much like your mother. And that means you're going to be like a murderous yeah. person or whatever. Yeah. And so I think that they were both like, you know, kind of transplanting these like impressions on her, which I think says a lot about probably like parenting. <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean, it really does of like, I think you're right that she's a miracle baby, but also like, is she like, if you as a parent, just assume that the the people that are in your life, um, who are your daughters and sons and you know, people like, are just an extension of you like how, who are like, how emotionally mature or how just intelligent and like, how much do you even understand yourself? Like, do you believe this because you genuinely believe you're just an extension of like your mom and your dad? Or like, where does that, where does this actually come from? Because I think that the insistence that you were nothing but is like the, the, the kind of violence and the trauma that she's left with because no matter, I mean, I do think like she does think like in some way, like, will she just not be anything but because that's what she was told as they were trying to raise her. And it's like, if they had a slightly, I mean, I guess they can't have a slightly different approach because they're both murderers. But like, I do think, and no critique of parenting, because I'm not a parent, but you know, the little bits of psychoanalysis that I've read, (laughs) it does- But you are a child. (laughs) I am a child. I mean, I think I very much, think a lot of the the things that we push around in our lives is is this question of like, well, what is your inheritance? What is your connection to this thing called genealogy? Do you believe in something like blood, right? Because like, if we're thinking biologically, um, we're all so similar. What is it like the DNA that's actually the same between you and me, Kim, or like anybody really is like, so it's like basically the same that like the quote unquote genetic difference differences that you share with your parents it's like a point zero 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 it's so minuscule that like what it why would we put so much emphasis on that infraction you know 
anyway, yeah. I mean, I don't think she's not a miracle baby in the sense that she is adjusted at all. Um, but I, you know, it's shocking that she's functional in any way, to be honest, based upon these conditions, because mm-hmm. the more you watch the show, the more you're just like, I like, this is the level of dysfunction in which she grew up in and still is working through is like really excessive. Um, and especially when the twist comes out that her boyfriend's mother was murdered by her mother. Yeah. It's like that, you know, that dysfunction there is just like, this is bananas, you know, but, um, I do think that the, they describe her, I think the alien describes her as, um, an empty, an empty can. can. Yeah. You know, and that is like actually a really interesting, it's both like, this like observation and critique and also like, it does seem apt, you know, where it's, this kind of vessel that has been like filled by all these different sorts of assumptions and expectations. And, um, and I think that she, I think that it, it kind of is framed as if she's someone that is emotionless, mm-hmm. but I, I think it feels more that it's like, she doesn't know how to fill it with anything, you know, because it's been hollowed out actually. Like she's been hollowed out as like a person well, by all these things in her life. Don't you think it's part of the hollowing is that like the emotions in her life um, have been like, or the emotions expressed towards her have been really unsafe. Like Mm -hmm. the expression of love from her mother was this insistence that she remain like alone and antisocial, really. Like, and the expression expressed to her by her father is literally like murderous rage. So like given that like that is the possibilities like modeled for her like what other yeah I mean it's almost like desensitization you know of just like like oh yes here's another like abusive murderous feeling yeah that like comes in and out of me you know like it's she it almost becomes a thing where she almost doesn't read any emotions sure like because of that I don't know yes Um, But we did want to pick up that, like, part of what the drama we think is, you know, exploring. And this is actually the description of the drama on, like, Wikipedia or something. It's, like, about, like, three characters overcoming or, like, the characters, like, overcoming the various issues that they face in their lives. But we thought the way that the overcoming is approached was really interesting because the struggle that's set up when our repressed alien finds out that like it's her mother that murdered his mother for really no good reason like it wasn't like there was like a i mean murder is terrible but it wasn't like something actually happened it was actually that like his our repressed alien's mother wondered if Young, the main character could benefit from like um therapy because she seems a little bit uh like there seems to be something that's happening emotionally for her and our main character's mother takes that as like an infraction that cannot be forgiven and then decides to like murder her so when our repressed alien finds out about this the murder part he himself sort of grapples with like is this love possible it's like a it's like a real take on the Romeo and Juliet fairy tale. Like, 
He's turn like, it up. Just yeah, turn it up. Just turn it up. Turn it up. Like, whoa. Um, yeah, especially because his brother is really living with this trauma too. And like, he lives with this trauma too. Um, and then he makes a decision that it doesn't matter because she's not her mother. And I thought, we both thought that like, isn't it that, that when she then found out, when Moon Young found out that he knew, her first like response is that she can't be in this relationship because once again, what if she's just like her mother or she's just like an extension of everything that she's done wrong. But when it becomes really clear to her that he doesn't see her like that, that like, I think that that's when it becomes possible for her to really not see herself as just another extension or just like an inevitable kind of extension. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and she, you know, she struggles in this way um, because he initially tries to not reveal this information to her. Like, you know, or is he knows that it's going to be difficult of course, like when she finds this out and that he's working his way through it and he understands that she is not her mother. But of course, it's also up to her mm -hmm. to kind of make that determination for herself too. Um, but I think that it shows, you know, just like also how uh, abuse like, you know, really can affect like these like really complex relationships, these really complex like parental relationships, you know, where there are things like sometimes like you just don't know what to do with the good parts, you know, mm -hmm. or like, and I think that there's like, there's elements of things that like her mother has taught her or that she's like gleaned from her mother at some point that um, are kind of what make her great too yeah. as a character, you know, like I think we talked about her self-possession and like the kind of like, power that she actually carries like you know in the first couple episodes you're just like yeah I'm like yeah. this woman's amazing you know like she kind of like nobody fucks with her like and she just like she doesn't flinch you know and I think that there's elements of that that you're like yeah like not to give credit to an abusive mother but I think that that's part of the struggle I think is that like there's things there that have um that have that have been good for her too. And she doesn't know what to do with that, you know, yeah. and when there's so much of it that came, that came with it, that was so horrible and so abusive and, and that, you know, and, and how do you, you can't divorce those things. They come mm -hmm. together, you know? And I think that's part of like accepting that in this like really kind of fucked up way that I think is like really difficult for her. And that's sort of what she has to come to terms with mm -hmm. um, is that, you know, you can't separate them. You can't just like pick, cherry pick, you know, the parts that like make sense. And you have to, like, you can't, yeah, you can't reject the whole thing either. It's just yeah. not possible. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of like the, feel like the last sort of um, bit of this series was sort of her sort of adjusting to that and understanding that and recognizing that, um, what she wants and her desires, even though they can be informed by this kind of abuse, they're still her own. Right. You know? Yeah. Kim made this note that like, or asked this question of like, can you reject some things without rejecting everything? Like, or like at what point does it become yours and not just like 
connected to this authority figure who either tried to murder you or wanted to destroy your life systematically, right? Like, because I think that that is really difficult. Like, if you are tied to this um, familial violence to, like, really kind of wanting to, like, both untie yourself um, while simultaneously accepting who you are, um, and, and, and really acknowledging that you are not just this kind of mere extension. But which brings us to this point that um, we think that there's a trend in K-drama, uh, a really fascinating trend that as someone who used to watch K-drama in the 90s, I can fully report it was not this way. Um, you tell us if we're wrong, but we think that there's a very consistent trend of not only bad parents and bad parenting, but abusive, violently abusive parents versus like, I think in the 90s or maybe still sometimes you see this kind of rotating figure of like the caricature of like the mother who sacrifices, the father who sacrifices everything, right? This kind of like endless sacrifice is the side of the parent. In pretty much everything we watched and reported on for this podcast, um, it's completely not like that. In fact, it's like the child who has, who's parentified um, taking on like the shame and the guilt and the sins of parents who are like, really like, they've never grown. I think that there's, I mean, in entertainment in general, I think that, you know, you can see always like, different sorts of trends based upon certain things that are happening in the world or socially. And I think that, um, you know, thinking about like the eighties or nineties or something with like ideas around the family and strategies of, I think, narr- like narrating that story that is more rooted in um, sacrifice and emotions and kind of like, guilt (laughs) you know there was a lot more of these kinds of narratives and I think that somewhere along the way in the 2000s we like moved more into judgment and revenge and um and I think that that is like I mean that's like true of like a trend overall um but I think that that is also being reflected in how these parents are kind of um you know like it's sort of like what is like, what is the catalyst for people, you know? And, like, it's kind of like saying, like, in the 90s, this kind of emotional um, deference, this emotional guilt, this emotional, like, responsibility, like, whatever that is, was the is the catalyst for transformation mm-hmm. for a character. And now it's, like, the catalyst is judgment, revenge, <laughs> like, overcoming abuse or something. Like, there's something there, I think, um, that is also happening but we've watched a number of shows basically almost every single show that we've covered on this podcast and a handful of other shows that we've watched that we did not cover all had um abusive parents shit dads terrible dads (laughs) Um, a lot dads who enable violence or just are actually violent like i we've watched multiple shows where like the father tries to kill his daughter. Like, it's happened way too yeah. many times. Like, Hyena, this show, yeah. like, that's way too many times, I think. Yeah, I, I've i also watched a handful of, 
shows, I mean, and Ichuan was like this too, I think, um, but like of dads that abuse their sons and like mm. brutalize their sons and like really like, uh, there was like one, one show that I started watching and then had to stop because it was, it's kind it was very bizarre, you know, and I think that it kind of speaks to the normalization of this mm. kind of violence or something where it's like a show that in some ways was sort of comedic, you know, and kind of like light in many other respects. But then you would get a scene where um, the CEO father was upset at the bumbling son. And then it would be like five minutes of him just like beating and kicking him on the ground at like a, at a, a board meeting or something. And you're just like, Whoa, like how does this make sense with like kind of this like silly other kind of like lighthearted fair that goes with it. And I think it just shows that that like, that isn't violence to you is what you're saying. Like that's like that. This is just like a part of like storytelling or something, you know, Um, which if the Korea communication standards commission tells us everything, like, I guess you don't determine these things to be violence. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's interesting because like, I think you're picking up on like, the polarity in fairy tales too of how some the some of the mythology is around the parent who sacrifices and they're there and thus therefore like cease to exist right like to one classic there was a father who was really amazing and sacrificed everything and then he died right like episode one um versus like the fairy tale like Hansel and Gretel, where like you literally have parents who see you as a burden and abandon you. Um, and that is like the legacy you have to live with, that kind of permanent abandonment. It's not like you have abandonment issues. It's just like you're abandoned. Um, there's a bunch of other episodes too, where um, like the parent is completely absent. And we would actually say that these are shows where the woman, the female character is like kind of great. So great that like we never ever hear about anything. Oh yeah, um, the mermaid. Who knows mm-hmm. where she came from? She's just like- We random. know nothing about her family. <laughs> nothing, nothing. Um, yeah, I mean, it does seem like part of it is picking up on like the re, you know, like I think the fairy tale of the sacrificial parent has kind of been rejected at this current moment. And the reality of, like, parentified children has been really amplified in a lot of these storylines. Yeah, which goes to something that Kim brought up of, like, how does this show push on what is normative versus what is non-normative? Like, where is this sort of push back and forth? Um, You want to talk about that? Yeah, because it's sort of, um, I mean, I don't know, it gets, it's like a pretty non-normative relationship dynamic, you know, when your mom was murdered by your lover's mom, like, that's like, it's like, it's a lot, you know, like, a lot to overcome, it's a lot to, yeah. a lot to overcome, like, I don't know, like, but I think that they all, especially towards the latter half of the season, um, are really interested in the kind of performance of normativity too, mm-hmm. you know, like they, 
they talk a lot about and you know it's like and there's sort of this line that they're towing you know between like also like chosen family and them trying to like like none of them having very functional uh examples of the nuclear family really um but then trying to uh redefine what that is for themselves and that in many ways like yes they like kind of construct a sort of non-normative still heteronormative but somewhat non-normative um image of what that is but then like you know they do things like you know they want to do the family portrait and they have like family meals together and and there's just kind of like there's a part of it that's sort of a performance almost as like a therapeutic thing like as a way for them to kind of um try to understand family as not being something that's entirely violent mm. or like reassociate it somehow with something that's like non-violent but at the same time you're kind of like is it just like are you just kind of normies now you just like yeah. have breakfast together and you like basically live together um, but maybe there's you know. potential because they live together in a camper it's true I guess he doesn't always sleep with her too which is like but that just makes it Christian I don't know if that makes it not I know the duties of integrity you cannot get any more Christian than that like come on um, yeah like where she's like aren't you gonna spend the night with me and he's like I sleep with my brother <laughs> you're like what yeah too too much integrity (laughs) like i think there's like it's interesting because um we don't want to say like normativity is like being in relation because so much of like recovery you know like there's a psychiatrist um judith herman who talks about how like like therapy really sets up this model in the u.s this model of like you go to a therapist and then you get better like just you by yourself but that kind of completely misunderstands how trauma functions. Um, Because if you were traumatized through a relationship, like in this drama, they were all traumatized by their parents. Mm -hmm. The only way to recover is through relationships. And that's something that's really difficult for us to kind of grapple with because we have this kind of hyper-individualistic, capitalistic model of like, you just kind of do things on your own and you get better on your own somehow, magically. Um, and she, you know, writes this book called Trauma and Recovery, where she's like, that's just not possible. You have to cover recover in relation. So I think like it's really beautiful that like they too somehow understand this by like finding each other and like kind of working through that together. But like, yeah, Kim and I were discussing like, you know, how much of this is just gonna be like them falling into like a kind of totally normy relationship like is that what they see as safe mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's really heading in that direction <laughs> based on what we've learned and you know so that's why i'm just like wow standards commission like what's your damage <laughs> like it's going exactly where you want it to go (laughs) everyone is nice no one is humping they're together forever it's a family (laughs) (laughs) they go camping (laughs) they go camping i i I guess they are kind of unemployed and that's why they're all able to go camping like oh yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) plot twist which doesn't yeah whose fantasy is that (laughs) they're all employed i mean unemployed that sounds great (laughs) 
Um, which does bring us to like something we wanted to touch on about like how the whole like his best friend and him, like the way that like maybe they were in relation at the very beginning the repressed alien his best friend and the brother almost seemed like a setup for like a chosen family but like we were both like is this a queer fantasy or is this a hetero fantasy yeah there was i don't know that was like it was very bizarre in the beginning how they kind of framed it as um well i guess to set it up basically uh the best friend is um they've known each other for a really long time, presumably from um, childhood as well or something. Uh, and that he's always been a really reliable sort mm-hmm. of friend in um, the brothers' lives. And um, and they're kind of, like, his dedication to them is actually, like, quite extreme as a friend, you know? Like, he, you know, so it's, like, beyond friendship in a way where it's, like, because, you know, they, they have moved multiple times, the brothers, and each time the best friend moves with them. And he's kind of made a number of uh, important life decisions based upon his ability to kind of be flexible and um, be accommodating of their lives. You know, like he didn't, I think, I can't remember what he wanted to do. He had like other career aspirations, but then ended up opening... Um, a product placement pizza shop. Well, first he had a Chinese restaurant, or a Korean-Chinese restaurant. And then yes. he was like, I'm just going to do this product. But So, like, we get all that corn pizza because of him, basically. <laughs> and he was like, this isn't even my dream. This corn pizza is not even my dream. <laughs> but I do it because you move and everybody eats corn pizza everywhere so I can always have a job. Yeah. And he kind of, like... And so he's, like, a little bit resentful of that, too, because he's also sacrificed his dreams to kind of accommodate their lives in a way. And and then I think there's, like, many instances in which he sort of expresses, like, his dedication and his commitment mm-hmm. to the alien and how the alien doesn't put him first ever. And he'll also, you know, and there is kind of, like, a yearning from him, too, where he will talk to... Um, the alien's brother and it's like well i'm kind of like a brother too right like i'm also in the family and then his brother will just be like we're not blood though no you're not actually my brother and, and it's like it's it's you know him being honest but it's also kind of like hurtful to the best friend because he's like what am i then mm-hmm. you know and and then there's like a few moments where you're kind of like are you gonna trust your love like what's <laughs> happening here like i don't know what's going on I mean, we're always waiting. We're always waiting for, like, a queer character to exist in these shows. And But this guy, the actor, basically plays the same role in yes. every drama and we see. It's just, like, a non-threatening uh, best friend who doesn't seem to have his own aspirations. <laughs> Which actually was our theory about this guy. Because he's always the non-threatening male best friend who performs, who's devoted to his friend and actually performs, like the function of him is to perform this gendered labor of like being there for him, the friend, you know, like being just like an incredible companion, but like not really wanting very much and being very dedicated. So we were like, okay, 
we would be really great if this was a queer fantasy, but actually it's possibly a cishet hetero fantasy of a guy yes. who has both, who has emotional and like gendered labor from his girlfriend or lover, and also a friend who's like incredibly generous with their time and puts him first, right? Because like that's the complaint yeah. of like, you don't put me first. And like the underlying subtext is like, he moves every two years and opens up restaurants to be near this guy. Um, but the main character doesn't really reciprocate this dedication to any of them. But he is like, an, he's in a position where he can like endlessly re- receive. And I don't want to make any like generalizations, but there have been some articles that have floated within the last few years about how like, and we say it's like a fantasy, a cishet fantasy, because um, there's been like reports on how because, you know, men often have difficulty forming male friendships, like this actually affects their health, this affects their well-being, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we're really concerned about men's health and well-being on this podcast. But like I bring this up to say like whenever I read these articles, I'm like, yeah, because like you won't perform gendered labor for your male friends. You guys have this really weird dynamic. Sorry, hot take. You guys have this real, really strange, yeah, strange dynamic where like neither person wants to perform gendered labor or be vulnerable or like even commit to this as a friendship. Like, anyway. So then, like, what do you? What does it mean that like we have a series of shows where like we have a consistent male best friend who like performs this like labor that I actually don't see and there's like scientific evidence that like this doesn't really exist anyway yeah that was my hot take well, and yeah I mean you're absolutely right and it's not I mean it's like I think that we would like it more if it was actually like a kind of aspiration that you felt was being expressed you know I mean not that you should aspire towards gendered labor mm-hmm. but like an aspiration towards like Oh, like that men are communicating in yeah. this way with each other. And that, and that it's like, and the reason why it's so clearly a fantasy and why it's clearly like a cis hat one is that it's also like, it is still so deeply imbalanced every time yes. it is presented, you know, like it's not, and I think in their minds, in the same way that how they represent women, um, in their minds, they think that this is like, like this is about feelings or whatever. And it's like, feelings should not be, like so imbalanced like this though, mm-hmm. where only one person is doing all the work yep. and someone just receives it like that is just like that like that is not what we're talking about actually um and i think that this is the thing where it's like it's not like he i don't even know i actually don't even know if at any point in 16 episodes slash 17 and a half hours of the show do we ever see the alien just ask his friend how he is doing yep like i don't think he ever returns at all this question of how he's doing and and it's like you know it's totally bananas because the best friend is doing this labor like for him but then on behalf of him for everyone else in his like all of the aliens relationships too so he like has these moments with um 
you know, the alien's lover, like, you know, like has like several times where he's trying to like help her because in turn that's also helping the alien. Oh he, he spends a lot of time with the brother, which is also about, you know, helping the alien and like in build up the aliens relationships and improve those relationships and like work towards better communication in the aliens relationships. And, and then I think he does it too with the PETA woman that, you know, is in love with like, that's in love with him that he also handles poorly when she's mm -hmm. like, I'm in love with you. And the aliens just like, it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> like, I, like I, you're a PETA. I don't know how to express it though. I, you know, whatever, I'm feral, basically, and I don't know how, <laughs> so, and then, so, like, basically, then, like, his best friend also has to, like, come in and, you know, clean up that mess, so he spends a lot of time just kind of running around trying to help the, all of the aliens' relations, which is a lot of work. So much work. Friend. And I, I think that you have said this multiple times, too, where, you know, friendship is also about bringing your best selves to each other. And I feel like this corn pizza man is working really fucking hard. <laughs> and, and I wish he would just work on himself a little bit because there's just no time. There's no time between making the pizza and helping everyone else in the alien and the alien's life. It's yeah. just like, it's exhausting. Yeah, absolutely. I also would say like, what you're pointing out is that the alien does not reciprocate. And that is what we're saying is the fantasy. That, like, relationships fall apart because, like, one person cannot give. That analogy of, like, the gardener and the flower, we have talked privately multiple times, Kim and I, that, like, we think that this analogy is garbage and actually about whiteness and colonialism. Um, because like everything, yeah. by the way. <laughs> by the way, that's everything. Because really, if someone asks you, are you the gardener or the flower, your answer should be, I'm an arsonist. That like, <laughs> if there's only one, like, if, like. Which, which one holds the tail that like, <laughs> takes this whole thing apart? Because <laughs> it's like, uh, think about like why, I mean, think about how violent it is that like one person endlessly gives and one person endlessly takes. And that is the situation, like most friendships, if that is how anybody behaves, it, it falls apart. There's no way that it could happen. And the fact that this best friend is so dedicated and committed, even though he does not get a single how are you for 16 episodes, says a lot about the fantasies uh, that are actually represented in the show that like there is... It's not about gender equality. Like the men's rights group should actually be really emboldened by how like this is a guy who like doesn't say very much, doesn't do very much. I mean, I will say like it seems like he does care for the lead female character. They have some things worked out, but it's still like, I mean, it's still minuscule in comparison to like her development, her growth, the way that she expresses um, but still, like, much of the show revolves around him. He's still the central person who receives all of the love and the affection, really. Yeah, it's actually really kind of sad. There's, like, a moment, um, it might even be the scene that we're watching right now, I can't remember now, where it's basically that, uh, you know, all these periphery characters, you know, the PETA... Pia's mom, um, the, 
book agent. I don't know what that guy's job is. I don't know, but like, whatever. Just the other nothing burger love interest that no one cares about. Um, there's all these like periphery people, and they basically, um, you know, I think they say to like our lead female character that like, you know, we're helping you right now because we mm-hmm. love him. <laughs> we love him, and you're just like, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> It's like, it's like, how much more are you going to put on this poor woman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of, you know, you're a little bit nuts. So we're just feeding you, like, quail eggs right now because the alien told us to. And for some reason, we're really dedicated to him. He never reciprocates to us, but we're super dedicated to him. And, and we're here enjoying our quail eggs, and I'm just going to let you know that it's not really for you. Let us be clear that it is true that he is a hot alien. Um, very pleasant yeah, to look sure. at. We touch those abs. No yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> However, there is nothing in the show that represents why this guy should receive so much endless affection, gendered labor, and love. Like, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't really do anything. He just kind of stands around. It's nice abs. It's true. But, like, come on. You know, like... He's a beautiful idiot. Like, that's just what it is. But, you know, it's great. I guess, yeah, I guess when you're, like, really, really, really good looking, you know, like, this is just... She's really, 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 really good looking. She's better looking. Let's be honest. But because she's she's a she that's really, really, really good looking, everyone's going to shit on her. And tell her that she can't dress like that. And she's too outrageous. You and... know what's really interesting is that, like, um, he can be really, really, really good looking with no personality. And there's endless love and affection. And she's really, really, really good looking. And everyone talks about her personality endlessly. They're like, oh, something's wrong with you. And it's like, I'm sorry. Heterosexuality <laughs> is so horrible. <laughs> So before the show ends, we should once again circle back to how he critiqued her fashion, even though what the fuck does he wear? And how amazing her fashion fashion was really throughout. Like, what a fucking pleasure to, like, watch her throughout. She looked amazing. That's why it was so offensive, you know, when everyone, like, all these normies, all these pitas around, around her just being, like, like, oh my god, like, she's a lot, you know, like, she's a lot, and you're like, she looks fucking amazing, like, I'm like, all of you are wearing denim rompers or whatever, like, you look awful, and she would have, like, the most, like, beautiful gold jewelry, these, like, high heels that were just, like, I just feel like the costuming was so appropriate Mm -hmm. for character, like, this is, like, one of the best examples, I think, yeah, like, expressing character through fashion, it was so good, a lot of um, nightgown adjacent dresses that she would just wear around the house. You know, yeah. with a lot of gowns just because she's walking around the house. <laughs> She'd wake up with glitter all over her eyes, and you're like, "Yeah, okay." She's like, literally, like I genuinely wake up this way, and you're like, "Okay, <laughs> well, cool." Um, but also, like. Oh, we should also mention that everyone else is literally in scrubs. Literally. They are in scrubs. And she, like, looks amazing. There's a lot of, like, prints that I think, like, print-on-print action. But also, like, see-through. 
um that like a lot of exaggerated sleeves and silhouettes too beautiful like beautiful shoulders um there was like that initial like white see-through dress where she like clearly had like a black bra and like black underwear or briefs or whatever and could like see that so i mean yeah she's a lot because everyone else like is in scrubs literally so then like i don't want to bring it up again because we talked about it in the Soleil episode. But I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to forgive you, <laughs> our repressed alien, for critiquing her fashion when you look like what you look like in Scrubs. But also, like, what do you know about clothes? And he never apologized for this, by the way. No, he never apologizes for it. And he, I mean, you know, it is what, like, we all know what it is. It's like, you're threatened by this. That's what it is. Because you're so deeply repressed. And here is someone that also has, like, some form of expression for herself. And I think there's, like, you know, he also has a bit of a jealousy thing because when the brother and her are, like, working on a book together, you know, and he's, like, the brother has his drawings and he's, like, you know, working on all this, like, creative output and then she's working on the story and, like... You know, it's like, hey, we both have personality. What about you? And he just, like, kind of gets jealous that they're, like, working all day. <laughs> he had, like, quit his job or he's on leave or something. So he kind of just, like, you know, he basically doesn't really have an identity. And I think that's really also what it's about, too. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, if you were to watch this on mute, you would still it would still <laughs> be such a highlight because she wears, like, she wears like beautiful reds and like mm-hmm. you know yellows and like there's so much color and i mean like to reiterate what kim is saying like there's so much about like who she is it's like she's comfortable but like beautiful like is part of i think what is being articulated um and she's okay being different and i think like that's the thing about her with our repressed aliens brother that is the connection they're the characters that are really okay with them being different themselves being different at least at the beginning um and that is part of why other people feel threatened by them yeah yeah we are nearing the end um is there anything that you want to say any last thoughts about you know the show the nativity the fashion there was only one thing that we did not address. Oh, um, what is it? Is the pita a Pisces? <laughs> oh my god, that's so important. Okay, I think she's a Pisces, one thousand percent. And by pita, I hope you all remember that it's like this unexceptionable, unexceptionable, unexceptional <laughs> woman who tries to who exists like always in all of these shows just this random side character that you're supposed to identify with but do not identify with her because she's a pita um and kim has labeled this person a pisces and i would five thousand percent agree (laughs) what about you kim would you agree i mean i think she's definitely pisces you know (laughs) she has a kind of energy that makes you you know she seems like she's emotional Mm. but she's kind of manipulative so manipulative and like i think she thinks that she's deep but really she's shallow 
and just wishy-washy. Oh. So Pisces, for sure. Pisces, for sure. Confirmed. Confirmed. Thank you for addressing this. <laughs> oh, okay. But, like, maybe last thing is what do you think the – what do you think – how would you assign – Moon Young, the, our lead character, and the repressed didn't alien. We, didn't we ask if they were both Libras because they're both so good looking? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the Libra trait? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about any other side. Yeah, song. I think we had to look it up because, sorry, Joe, we don't know what a Libra is. <laughs> but I think that they're basically like really into their self-image because they mm. look really good <laughs> i mean i would say that she's probably like libra rising scorpio sun scorpio. moon yeah i would believe that if i like that would and he could just be a libra maybe i don't know <laughs> like which is which is the empty sign that's like a personality <laughs> Sorry, listeners. We don't know anyone horoscopes either. Yeah, we only know about cancers and yeah. a little bit about Scorpios. Yeah, because we're we and, only have friends who are cancers. That should so you're the, and Scorpios and Scorpios water so signs mostly. The possibility and you have a Sagittarius listener. <laughs> oh, and and some Virgos. So like, but mostly like mostly water signs minus Pisces. So the, the chances of you um, listening in being a Cancer, Scorpio, or Virgo, or Sagittarius, quite high. Yes. Quite, quite high. Um, but thank you so much for listening today. And it was really great. It was really great. And if you have updates on the commission's report, other thoughts, other infractions, like maybe that's a poem, an ongoing poem we can write. All of the other infractions for all of the other shows, <laughs> let us know. Um, but we should be uploading um, very soon because there's another drama we've been recording about at the same time. So, yes, we're very excited to share that one too. Yes. Stay safe, everyone. Fight fascism as best as you can and send us notes if you want. Thanks, everybody. Thank See you. See you next time. Bye.